Now, the only thing is that I want you to help me because um, I think I said some of the chesed things a little out of order. So there are some we didn't finish up with, but some of them I might have already said. And I'm, I, when I looked at them, I wasn't sure. First of all, because some of it I quoted on Tuesday. And of course, before that, I had read it and prepared it for this time. So at this point, I'm a little confused. Which ones did I say? Which ones didn't I say? So feel free, like more than feel free, like please just say, oh yeah, we did that one. All right. And then, because <laughs> there's plenty more, thank God. Like we have more to go and we don't really have to go over. We do have to go over it, but there's no need for us to say it again in class. We could always just go over it ourselves. Okay. So. It's not going to be the first thing I say right now, but it, it could theoretically become repetitive afterward. Um, so last time we were talking about the definition of chesed. What is chesed? And there were all kinds of amazing ideas, most of which had been synthesized by Rav Hirsch. Um, and one of the, and, and sort of culminating in this fascinating, I don't know if observation is only the word of his, that that in Torah, that the Chazal will sometimes use the term chaste Hashem, Hashem's chesed, when it is referring to chesed that people are meant to do. Mm-hmm. So the example was that a Jewish person, Jewish people are rachmonim b'shanim and gomle chasadim. And then the pasuk that's brought to demonstrate that Jewish people do chesed, they have the quality, the pers- the, like a personality trait, of doing chesed was a pasuk in Devarim that Hashem remembers the bris and the chesed, or the chesed and the amos, I forget, you know, have to check that. But um, in other words, it's not the bris and the chesed that he promised, which is Hashem's chesed. And yet that's supposed to be a proof that the Jewish people do chesed, that Hashem's chesed is performed by people. Mm-hmm. Not in every case, of course, but there can be such a concept. Okay. And that, I think, helped explain also Zocher Chaste Avos. Okay. So now I want to share an idea which is related to that, I believe. I, I, you'll see if you agree with me, but it seems to me that it is related to that. And this is something that Rabbi Leff says in his book on Shemona Esrei, which I have recommended before and will recommend again. Really very, very different from any of the other books and svarim out there on it. Remarkable. And in English. Kel Elyon, Gomel Chasadim Tovim Vekone Hakov Zocher Chaste Avos. So what he says is that, I guess similar to the way that it was Hakel, Hagadol Hagibor Vehanora. So it was a set of three, really. Hagadol Hagibor Vehanora, all of which are somehow, let's say, branches of Hakel in this case. So over here, it's Kael Elyon, again with the Kael. Kael Elyon, Gomel Chasadim Tovim, Vekone Hakol, Vezocher Chasdeyavos. That there are three different um, ways that we can recognize Hashem as Kael Elyon, that, that are what are listed here in Shemona Esrei. The first way of recognizing Hashem as Kael Elyon, the most mighty power on high, is by looking at the infinite boundless kindness that he bestows upon his creation. The second way, that's, that's gomel chasadim tovim, seeing the chesed that he does, the complete chasadim. Good morning. The second chesed, the second way to recognize Hashem as kelo yon is via the finite boundaries of creation itself. That related to vekone hakol, and there were five kinyanim, and there were so these are things within creation. The first was Hashem bestowing chesed upon creation. The second was by looking at creation itself, what Hashem has created, which have finite boundaries. That's the definition of being created, mm-hmm. really. And in looking at that, to recognize that Hashem is kel elyon. Mm-hmm. Okay, you hear how the first one is chesed, and this one is gevura. Because everything in Sharona Esri, especially in the first three sections, is going to boil down to Chesed Gura MS, right? And the third is through a synthesis of the two manifestations of Hashem's presence. What's that? 
I mean, it's enough to wrap your heads around the first ones. What, right. what is the synthesis of the two? The synthesis of the two is manifestations of Hashem's presence. Hashem's presence is infinite. The manifestation, meaning a physical manifestation in the world, is finite. What would be a synthesis of that? It's a, real, it's a very difficult question. Except, yeah, Hashem remembers the chaste avos. That, the words in the bracha that, that refer to MS, meaning refer to the synthesis of the infinite and the finite. In this context, the synthesis of the infinite and the finite as something that we would look to to recognize God as Kelelion is v'zocher chaste avos, the memory of the chesed of our forefathers. Hashem remembers the chaste avos, the kindness of our forefathers, that within the boundaries of this finite, limited world, man can perform deeds that have eternal significance. Okay, that sentence, he made it sound simple, but I think we've learned so much background information that you would have to have to even begin to understand the sentence, right? Within the boundaries of finite, limited world, man can perform deeds that have eternal significance, that our actions in the world can be a synthesis of the finite and the infinite. When we do God's will, you have a synthesis of finite and infinite happening. It literally synthesized. Literally so, it's a single new quality. It's not two things overlaid or holding hands. It's a single action that is both part of the infinite and part of the finite. I think that this is also, like, like as I said, what Rav Hirsch was referring to. Chaste Hashem as manifested in chesed that people do. Wow. That's a synthesis of the infinite <coughs> and the finite. Furthermore, this is not furthermore. Along these lines, something we've learned. What is a human? A human being is one who is comprised of both spiritual and physical in one nature. Mm -hmm. So there you have a synthesis of the infinite and the finite, the manifestation of God's presence in the world. We bond the physical and spiritual with words of tefillah, right? Brachos connecting things to their source in the heavens mm -hmm. through our words. And our actions, when we perform God's will, that you get what you result of that is a physical action that is an embodiment of Torah or of God's will. Mm -hmm. So you have a, a new kind of creation. When we say it's something new concept, when we say that MS is a synthesis of chesed and gevura, it's not then not a new thing. It's not you take, you know, you mix in a little chesed and you add a splash of gevura and mix it. You have a new creation. Because what was infinite is not finite, and what is finite is not infinite. And yet you have, through the actions, the prayers, the existence of mankind, you have something, it's like, a, I think, a new concept of what, is the, what does it mean, Selim Elohim, an image of God. You, you, what you have now in man and through man is the possibility to create something called MS, which is literally something that cannot exist without either one of them. It is both of them. And it's difficult to tease out where one ends and the other begins mm -hmm. because it's not two things just kind of Lego stuck together that you could pull them back apart anymore. This is a new kind of creation and it's called MS or Tiferis, right? Okay, to me this was, I'm so glad that I looked at this Rav Lef again after what we saw in Rav Hirsch because I absolutely saw it in a whole new light. I would not have seen it that way three weeks ago. Okay, four weeks ago, maybe. I don't know. It depends exactly. I'm trying to remember when I first saw that reverse. Right? It, it's a completely new... Um, I don't know. To me, it was, was like definitely a new reading of it and also a new insight. So this, just even this as a way of reading, it's actually something that's a, a manageable kavana. 
It's actually a manageable kavana, and not only that, it's manageable to potentially remember it. I don't know, maybe I shouldn't speak. <laughs> it's potential to, to remember it, meaning to say kelo yon and then realize that's colon, you know, here comes the list of three, mm-hmm. and that that would hang on to it. I just want to, I said, what's the date today? The 8th? 9th. Sorry, just had to get that on there. All right. Another piece from Rabbi Lef. This is officially on the Zohar Chaste Avos, because we're technically at the tail, tail sort of end of that. We've discussed how we can recognize Hashem by the infinite boundless kindness that he bestows on his creation, and also from within the finite boundaries of creation itself. The third way that he can be recognized is through the synthesis of these two manifestations of Hashem's presence, that Hashem remembers the Chaste Avos, the kindnesses of our forefathers, that within the boundaries of this finite limited world, man can perform deeds that have eternal significance. Now, the act of remembering when referring to Hashem does not just imply that he exercises his power to recollect. It connotes that which Hashem considers substantial and worthy of existing and enduring. Something worth remembering, right? To remember something is something worth remembering. In the case of Hashem, what does it mean worth remembering? It means worth existing and enduring because so long as it is within the will of God, it exists and endures. So that which God remembers is that which he sees fit that it should be worthy to exist and endure. And he brings us an example when Hashem said, should we create man? The Malachim said, Ma enush kisiz kirenu. What is man that you should remember him? He hasn't even been born yet. <laughs> What's to remember? Okay, so, okay, fine. God works, you know, above time, outside of time. It's not, not you know, limited. But um, still, what is that supposed to mean? So he says, obviously, remember here doesn't mean to recollect. Man had not been created yet, but rather, what is man that you should even consider him? Still, God did create man and felt he was important enough to consider and bestow with substance and eternity. So, v'zocher chasteavos, now let's like just apply that to what he said. V'zocher chasteavos is Hashem sees fit to remember the chesed of the avos, that this is something worth perpetuating and maintaining in existence, which helps us see how it's v'zocher chasteavos umevigoel livne v'nehem and bring the Redeemer to their children's children. Something that's, that's fit to continue and exist on and on and on. The Medrash relates, quotes Tanchuman Emor Chafbez, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to the Jewish people, in this world I commanded you to make me a sukkah and repay me for the kindness I bestowed upon you. We make a sukkah and we're like thanking Hashem for making us sukkahs in the desert. And I consider it as if you are endowing me. Uh, it's like as if you're doing me a favor, you're giving me a present, you're thanking me, a thank you note. But in the future world, I will reveal my kingdom to you and protect you like a sukkah. During our journey in the desert, we were recipients of God's protection and bounty. And yet Hashem says to us, I remember the chesed you did me following me in the desert. Really? I mean, yes, we see that it actually could have been a very big nisayon to do it. But seriously, who's doing who a chesed following into the desert, right? I mean, he's going to feed us, clothe us, shelter us. And we did a big chesed by coming. <laughs> Sorry. like, Okay. Similarly, God bestowed his greatest blessing upon us, the Torah. And yet he rewards us for responding nasev and ishmas if we were doing him a favor by accepting the Torah. Like, yeah, it was really hard for us. It's an amazing thing we achieved. And that's what we always talk about. And it's like, he gave you the best possible thing that you could have. He gave you his most precious gift. Mm -hmm. Who's supposed to say thank you to whom? (laughs) How do we explain this phenomenon? God's unlimited eternal kindness to us, which is in essence the bond that he creates with us so that we can eternally bask in the splendor of his presence. That's the introduction to Mesilla Sisharm is achieved through our observance of Torah and mitzvos. Let's just like say that again. <laughs> I'm not going to read the whole sentence exactly, but God does chesed that is infinite for us. 
That chesed is what Masilas Yasharm describes as the purpose of life, which is lehanos miziv shchinaso in the next world, to enjoy the shchina. How do you get to that? It's through the observance of Torah and mitzvos. This is the way in which the kindness can be earned and appreciated. So our observance of Torah and mitzvos actually completes God's original act of kindness and enables it to take effect. That's wild. Here we're back to giving ourselves credit again or something. I don't know, right? Hashem created us to be able to receive from him chesed. And the way in which we are able to receive that chesed is by doing Torah and mitzvot in this world. Which means that when we do Torah and mitzvot, we put like the final, the final activation switch on. We flip the switch on for God's chesed to us. So in a way, he's allowing us to do chesed for him. That our mitzvot and maisim tovim transcend this temporal world. They transcend time and place and are remembered for thousands of generations in this world and eternity in the world to come. I think that this also serves as an explanation of that v'zocher chaste avos, of that synthesis of Hashem's chesed being performed through people, through, Torah, through, our Torah and, through the Torah and mitzvot that are done by people. Hashem's chesed becomes sort of finalized and complete to us, through us. Okay. Um, I think this was supposed to be attached to something else. That's separating. There we go. Okay. A little bit more on chesed. You didn't know where you were starting. Okay. I kind of had an idea. It was like this, this deep. It is, and I don't think we touched on it even really for all of this, but at least we get like uh, sort of compartments of ways of thinking that are helpful. Okay, back to Parsha's Chayesara, but a different part of Chayesara, right? Where we have all these examples of chesed. We have that marvelous definition of ahava in feelings is chesed in action, right? Okay, what does Eliezer look for? to identify the wife for Yitzchak. He's looking for special character traits, which even today are the characteristic signs of the Jewish people, which is the category of Gemilus Chesed. Of this love of fellow... Okay, so now I want to show you in the Pasuk it says... Sorry, I put these... I put this in because I wanted to. It says, Vayarat ha'eved likrasa. The servant, Eliezer, ran to greet her, and he said, please let me, let me drink water out of your pitcher. Vatomer, and she said, okay, he says, hagmi inina. He doesn't say, let me drink. He says, hagmi'ini, which in the first translation translates as gulp. Let me gulp down your water. And she says, shiseyadoni, drink my master. The drink is definitely a more mechobitika way of drinking. And she treats him as master. But he ran to her as the Eved. Okay. So what do we see from this? Vayarat ha'eved, not Eliezer, the servant, in the demeanor of a slave, he hurried to meet her. He begs for just a little water to gulp down. She answers, drink, and adds, my lord, although he stands as a slave before her. And then promptly, step by step, disclosed the woman who was worthy with her Abrahamitic feelings to take the place of Sarah. So one of those traits is the love of fellow man, regardless of class distinction. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That this is, an, this is a fundamental element of chesed. Because it's easy to fool ourselves into thinking that our motivation is chesed or ahava when we're helping somebody where it's really an honor to us that we're doing the helping. Such an honor to us that we, we've done this chesed by inviting Rabbi so-and-so to our house for a meal. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, maybe, you know, it could be you were doing a chesed. I don't know. 
It could be you were just flattering yourself because it's so nice for you to do it. But what about the person who's not always such a nice guest to have? The one who stands before you is the Eved, not the Adon, mm-hmm. right? When you invite that person, that's a bigger sign of chesed. Of chesed is chesed. Chesed out of love. Love for the father brings you to love the child, right? Another, another step that she revealed was, sorry, go back and forth, everywhere and always ready to jump to help. So the alacrity. The eagerness to do the chesed is a sign that the motivation behind it is love. And if it isn't the motivation, if the motivation isn't love, then maybe it's fair to say it isn't chesed. It might be something else. It might be a favor, it might be very nice, it might be even what the person requires at the moment, but chesed is love in action. So if it isn't love, maybe it's not chesed, right? So that kind of alacrity to do and not think about, can I, should I, will I, is a sign, it's a way of understanding that what's behind it is love. At first, she said not a word about the camels, as Eliezer had hoped, right? Eliezer had said, if the one who will give me water and also for the camels. And she says, here, have a drink. You can imagine him thinking, oh no. Like, this is so great, close. but I was so looking close. for, right, I was looking for the camels, right? Like, I was, there was a sign that he was looking for. She didn't say anything. It was only when she had completely quenched his thirst that she said, for your camels, too, will I draw water until they have completely drunk their fill. Okay. And what Rav Hirsch is saying is, that is greater chesed. It's not what he looked for, but it was even better. Why? Had Rebecca said this at once, a certain trait which characterizes the true Gomel chesed and the true Jewish woman, would have been missing. She would have been a conceited gossip who likes to make big talk about her good deeds. Here, have some. I'll take care of all of you, all your people, all your camels. Instead, she said, sure, here, have some. After he drank, let me get some for your camels too. It's not talking about what I'm going to do. It's only saying it as you're doing it. Then she does not offer merely to give the camels also a drink. That by itself would be quite a tiresome task. Just to give each camel a jugful would entail ten journeys down to the well and ten drawings up of the bucket. But no, she will draw and draw and fill the whole trough up until the camels have drunk their fill. And then he says, a camel drinks enough at a time to enable it to go three days without water. And with it all, how nimble and quick she she is. Vataratz, vatamaher. She doesn't think long about it. She's not slow or dilatory when it's a matter of doing humane work. What Eliezer had left in the picture, okay, so, sorry, stop there. That demonstrates selflessness of her energy. She's not worried about how hard it will be for her. That is also a factor of chesed, right? Because gvura would be the limitation. Gvura would be saying, well, if I go too far with this, I might become tired, and then I might not be able to... Get, get the water back home or the sheep back home that I'm supposed, you know, I won't be able to fulfill my duties. But real chesed, that's purely chesed, that's going to be from the fountain of infinity, essentially, right? It comes of not looking at the limitation and just doing. That's the selfless, selflessness and the zrizos. And then it says, where's that pasuk? And when she had finished giving Eliezer to drink, she said, Also for your camels I'll draw water, until they finish drinking. Right? That's like literally until they've had, until they stop. Not until she says, okay, that should be enough for the moment. Mm-hmm. She hurried. And she spilled out, she emptied out her pitcher into the watering trough. And she ran to the well to draw more water, and she drew water for the animals. What's that? The Torah? What? That's like a, quite a detail. What is that? That she emptied her pitcher into the... Okay. What Eliezer had left in the pitcher, she carefully empties into the trough. She could have just left it in the pitcher and just topped it off, or she could have spilled it out 
because mm-hmm. I don't know, it's got germs, right? Or whatever. Like while she's walking to the well, pour that out because then she'll be able to fill it up. But even the tiniest means for doing a mitzvah is fulfilling a duty. Everything is holy to it, mm-hmm. right? We know this from Yaakov later on, right? That Yaakov goes back for the pachim ketanim. And we learn over there that tzaddikim value even very small possessions like their life. And that's always this very puzzling statement. Like, really? That seems like so perverted. That's so messed up. But it's the opposite of that. It's recognizing that everything that you have been given, whether it's years in your life or hours in your life, or a ballpoint pen, has been given to you with a purpose to fulfill an avoda for Hashem. Therefore, everything has value. A righteous person appreciates every little thing they have. They bend down to pick up a rubber band. Why? Because you appreciate that it could be useful and have a purpose in serving God. Therefore, it has value. So then it, beca- it has holiness. That tzaddik will not waste uselessly the smallest expenditure of energy, nor the tiniest drop of water. So now he's going another step. This is like her righteousness that she recognizes it, right? But what it also does is it throws a new light on her selflessness of energy. She's showing that she does value even the small things. It's not, if we didn't see that she spilled the water carefully back in so it wouldn't be wasted, we might think, yeah, well, she ran to do this, she ran to do that, she's a little hyperactive, she's really generous, but she doesn't know the value of things, right? She doesn't know how to calculate her energy or have that kind of discipline. So she's all over. But it isn't that either. What it shows us, that little description of her being careful not to waste the water shows us that Rivka values the tiniest means for doing a mitzvah as being holy and therefore won't waste the smallest expenditure of energy or the tiniest drop of water. But on the other hand, for a good purpose, it knows no limit to what it will spend of its forces and means. That's pretty awesome. Okay, all of this is Step by step, her demonstrating true chesed. What he says characterizes the true gomel chesed, the true one who does chesed, the true Jewish woman. He, what is that, conflates them? Mm-hmm. Okay. Does it also show you know, consideration? Is that why should even a camel have to wait for me to go get more when I can give it some Oh, now? that's interesting. I don't know. Why not? Could be. It could be. I don't know. I'm not sure how much a camel would get out of it, but you're right. Like, even what little it gets. It's better than nothing. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking about that in terms of... Good morning. In terms of, like... You know what? I wanna, I'm going to put her at the head of her I just want her to sit. Remember when she can hear better? Thank you. Okay. Sorry. No, I was thinking about like, you know, when when you're like preparing like this this fabulous meal, you know, your shabbos dinner, but when somebody comes in, you know, you offer them something small right away. Right away. Yeah. So that they don't have to. I like it. It's nice. I don't know. I like it. Okay, um, more on chesed. Yaakov says to Hashem, when he hears that Esav is coming to meet him. Mm-hmm. So we have now jumped in time a bit. He says, Hashem, the God of my father Avraham, the God of my father Yitzchak, who said to me, go back to your country and I'll make it good for you. Katonti mikola chasodim. Is Rav Hirsch's translation. I have already become too small from all the kindness and all the faithfulness which thou hast, hast rendered unto thy servant. Because with my stick did I pass over this Jordan River. And now I am already two whole camps. And Rav Hirsch says, By the abundance of what thou hast already done for me, 
I feel quite small and too humble to approach thee. Meaning, why should, what does it mean I'm small from all the chesed you do to me? It's that you've done so much for me that I feel it's, it's so big. It's bigger than I am. For the greatness of a man is not measured by the actual amount of what he accomplishes or gives, but by the relative proportion to what he has received. He says, you have given me so much that I think maybe I'm small. Because compared, if I only had a stick in my hand, then what I had done, we would say that is astonishing. But having two whole camps full of children and servants and belongings and sheep and flocks, compared to that, I'm smaller. <coughs> the the greatness of a person is not measured by actual accomplishment, but accomplishment in proportion to what he has been given. <coughs> That's not only what he's been given in terms of money. <coughs> Although with tzedakah, that might be a gate. <coughs> As we'll see, when it comes to, let's say, chesed, it might be how much you give of your energy to others, or your listening, or your advice. Okay, more on chesed. They all tie together pretty clearly. This is on Rav Hirsch's commentary in Bereshis, where Hashem makes garments for Adam and Chava. Right? And our sages remind us on this verse how here the first trace of Gemilus Chesed occurs, how Hashem himself practiced Gemilus Chesed, the active form of deeds of love amongst mankind. Chazal tell us the Torah begins and ends with examples of Gemilus Chesed shown us by God. At the beginning, how God clothed the first naked human beings, and at the end, how he buried the noblest human being. Kvuras Mesim, Malvish Arumim. Okay, which is awesome by itself. But now, Rav Hirsch is going to say something which I think is um, such a fundamental hashkafa, a way of thinking about ourselves, our role in the world, the way we see others, really bringing all of the stuff that we've said about chesed into a way of thinking. If up until now we have considered, not without justification, the altered condition of nature to mankind as a lowered condition. Meaning, now that Adam and Chava have eaten from the tree, now the climate isn't perfect, now the agriculture is difficult, now the relationship with animals is everything starts to change. Man will die. We have a world where things are, are less perfect, at least on the surface, at least for now. So... There's pain, there's suffering, there's death, there's sickness. Mm -hmm. These are things which did not have any reality before that. So we consider that altered condition of nature to mankind as a lowered condition. He says, not without justification. Mm -hmm. Still, this condition has another aspect to it. On the other hand, just this lowering, okay? The lowering is that now we don't just pull our food straight off a tree that's always there whenever we're hungry. Or we don't even maybe get hungry, right? And we don't get sick, and we don't get... Now this lowering has given him the opportunity of showing himself in his nearest likeness to God. What? The fact that mankind has fallen and brought nature with him, so to speak, into a much less perfect-looking function is also the opportunity for mankind to shine as it's Elohim. Everything which, when done selfishly for ourselves, is lowering, becomes divinely great when done for others. Slaving away Bezeas Apo by the sweat of one's brow Straining one's strength to provide bread and happiness for others is, according to Jewish ideas, the greatest likeness to God that man exercises. So when you're working hard to buy yourself some new trinket, that's about as low as it gets. When you work hard to provide for someone else's needs, 
that's about as high as it gets. Even as God showed you that he clothed the naked, healed the sick, comforted the troubled, buried the dead, so shall you likewise clothe the naked, heal the sick, comfort the afflicted, buried the dead. That's the Medrash. As God is, so are you. And they're all chesed, because the Torah begins and ends with chesed. That is the conception and principle of Jewish love of fellow man, of Jewish gemilus chasadim. Thus the hardship of life, the need for assistance, has become the basis on which everybody who so wills can elevate himself to godlike heights. The fact that the practice of this disinterested, unselfish personal sacrifice of one's own powers for the benefit of others has found and still finds so many souls willing and eager to render such service. The fact that you see in Klai Yisrael that we are gomle chasadim. People do make chevra kadisha and biker cholim and send food to mothers who have babies and help each other out and are eager to is the most speaking refutation of the gloomy lie that by man's first sin, humanity has been cursed <coughs> and doomed to lose the godliness of its being for future generations. You know, sort of hint, hint. So that it is a piece of profound wisdom on the part of our sages when they associate the teaching, the lofty conception of Gemilas Chasadim, just here with the departure from paradise. He says it's not a coincidence. He says it's the deepest wisdom that Chazal saw that we should learn right here about chesed. Why? For without the need for assistance, which thereby began for mankind, we would hardly know where there would be any opportunity for the practice of gemilas chasadim. That's, um, that is a whole different way to think about it. The fact that there is need, we know that the fact that there is need is a reminder that we need to recognize that we need God. And we know that the fact that we, that we feel need or we feel pain or we feel hunger is a reminder. God is calling us to speak to him. This is something new. The fact that there is need tells me there are others who have need and I can emulate God by providing for them. The fact that I feel pain teaches me that there is pain and others might be in pain and I can emulate God by trying to alleviate their pain. So the fact that there is need and pain and loneliness and death and, and difficulty and trouble, you know, money, money troubles, if not for this, how would we ever have a chance to be fully human and shine out the divine possibilities? Okay. And finally, finally, not as in sof sof, but like finishing up on chesed, Rav Hirsch again, because he's the one who clearly is thinking it through all the way from one end to another. I think Chazal also were thinking it through all the way from one end to another, but I am definitely not in any, I'm going to let him do the synthesizing of all that. Okay. Um, in Chorev, there is an essay on tzedakah and gemilus chasadim. So he puts them together, but he also distinguishes between them. I'm, I'm going to read even more than I usually do. I, you know, I don't love reading, reading, reading inside long passages because they get a little boring. Um, it's not very long passages because most of this is not brackets, but a few paragraphs. Thou shalt open thy hand unto thy brother to thy needy. With these words, God calls you to your loveliest, holiest, most godlike task. You see why it helps if you know Rav Hirsch in other places? Can I just say, like, because <laughs> if you just start here, I mean, I guess you just have to start somewhere. <laughs> but it's so helpful. You know, it's like Farah, uh, right? He, he'll always say, like, you got to learn Gemara. You got to keep moving because you don't have a clue how to paskin. You don't have a clue how to understand the Gemara unless you know all the other Gemaras. So you just got to keep going so that you get a sense of the whole. You just have to jump in somewhere and then keep moving forward. Okay? The, <laughs> with these words, God calls you to your loveliest, holiest, most godlike task. He doesn't tell you why it is that way, but he did in gracious. Calls upon you to become a blessing. Right? That's Veheye Bracha. We've learned the word Bracha. 
with all he gives you, a blessing to those around you. Look around you in the great house of your father. All are called to share this blessing. Okay, I think that's a reference to, I think it's the fifth letter in the 19 letters of Ravrush, where he talks about Olam Chesed Yibane, the world is built on Chesed, mm-hmm. and Behi Baram, everything in the world is created with Chesed. And everything in the world was created with need, and everything in the world was created to be able to provide for some other creature's need. Everything needs from other parts of creation, and everything provides for other parts of creation. All are called to share this blessing. Everything sustains. I didn't think to put that piece from uh, consider adding here. Add the Hebar um, 19 letters. Okay. Everything sustains and is sustained. Everything takes and gives and receives a thousandfold in giving, for it receives life instead of mere existence. And do you alone wish only to take and not to give? (laughs) Really? Look around the whole world. Everyone and everything is taking and giving and taking and giving. Really? And you only want to take? And shall the great flow of blessings cease with you? Would you be as a stream which dries up in the arid sand and fails to give back to the sea that which it has received? This is in Chorev. This is in Chorev. Do you have this book? Not yet. You need to get it. It's harder and harder to get. Last time I tried to buy a copy, it was $50. I don't know if it's temporarily out of print. I don't know. It's worth it. It's worth $50 million, but we don't all have that. Once you have pondered upon the thought that you are nothing so long as you exist only for yourself, that you only become something when you mean something to others, that you have nothing so long as you have only for yourself, that you only possess something when you share it with others. Sorry, I know we're halfway through a sentence, but the power that that just infused back into the idea of, if not for the lowered state of mankind, where would we ever begin to be able to do chesed? You understand what he's saying here? What, it, what are the consequences of not being able to do chesed, God forbid? What that would mean? It would mean, what is your life worth? Literally, what is your life worth? If you cannot do for others. That ev- even the penny in your pocket is not yours. It only becomes so when you spend it for a blessed purpose. Right? You can't take it with you. The only money you take with you is that which you have given to help others. And when you have experienced the supreme happiness of giving, it's still the same sentence. When you have experienced the supreme happiness of giving, the bliss of the knowledge that you have fed the hungry, clothed the naked, comforted the sick, cheered the unhappy, provided for the needy, then will you rejoice in the great task to which God has called you to be a blessing with all that you possess. Then will you willingly give your all to purchase a moment of such knowledge. I think that's what that means, right? Okay, skipping. If tzedakah, as practiced by God, means his tender justice, which meets out to each human being not what he deserves, but what he is capable of bearing, then for the human being, it is that tender justice, God's love, and not another man's right against you, which entitles him to his claim on you. Meaning... What we do for others, tzedakah, is not because we are so amazing. It's because it's just. There is a claim upon us to help others. It's not the claim of the person. It's God's claim upon us. And that is just and right and fair. Give, and neither to your children nor to your grandchildren, not even to your remoter descendants, will help be refused when they are in need. For riches and poverty come around in their circle. There is never a whole succession of generations that entirely escapes poverty. Okay. That which you give, give with a friendly mean, with a good and cheerful heart, with feeling and with kindly consoling words. No, we've said this one. If you give in a surly manner, then is your face taking back what your hand has given. I know I've read that before, but I still think it's awesome. <laughs> If you cannot accede to the requests of the needy, do not turn him angrily away. Give him encouragement. Show him your goodwill and that it grieves you not to be able to help him. Never turn a poor man empty away, even if it be only a scrap of bread that you give him. 
Now, more on halachas of tzedakah. And then, but higher, incomparably higher than tzedakah, financial and material charity, stands gemilas chasadim, good works. In tzedakah, you give away your worldly goods, your wealth. In gemilas chasadim, you place on God's sacred altar all the best and noblest you have, your judgment, your word, your strength, your deeds, your entire personality for the good of your brethren. In tzedakah, you offer only the means from which good may result. In Kamilas chasadim, you grow the flowers of bliss themselves, become the creator of the health, the joy, the peace, the happiness, the welfare of your neighbor. If you want to see man as the true image of his father in heaven, you must behold him as he, filled with pity, with love, with divine spirit, makes bread for the hungry, takes care as a father of the infant's well-being and education, nurses the sick, clothes the naked, comforts the suffering, buries the dead, advises the inexperienced, reconciles those who are at variance, and everywhere strives by word and deed to allay suffering, to heal the injured heart, and dry the flowing tears." And when roused by such a sublime vision, you feel that you are called to the same divine task, then come forward, young man, come forward, young maiden, and in the sight of God, dedicate yourself with all that noble, beautiful strength with, with which he has endowed you to such work of love for the salvation of his children. Skipping again. Not only shall your heart know how to shed tears of pity and to bring consolation to the distressed, where you can contribute counsel and help to your brothers and sisters, above all to the orphaned, and be the founder of their domestic hearth and the promoter of their happiness, there give freely whatsoever fine and noble you have to give by counsel and deed, strength and endeavor. And never hide in your heart joy at the prosperity of your brother. Rejoice truly and deeply over every success, and even as you share tears as you shed tears with the weeping, above all, rejoice with the fortunate and increase his joy by sharing it. And make peace, keep peace, bring back peace to whence it had fled. If you will gain the finest laurels in your good works, become an angel of peace among your fellow man. Behold, there is nothing that brings blessings so much as peace, nothing that is the foundation and condition of all blessings as much as peace. It's, it's basically Elu Devarim. For in vain does God pour down the abundance of his blessings where strife reigns, for there even the most beautiful blessing becomes a curse and an instrument of disaster. If you could but dedicate yourself as a shield against that carrier of the curse, dissension, be creator, guardian, champion of the father of all blessings, peace. If you could but bring together souls which are hostile, hearts that hate each other, and teach them to live as brothers, Restore the peace that has fled from husband and wife, parents and children, brothers and sisters, families, houses, cities, countries, then you could be sure that your Father in heaven looks down upon you as the builder of the happiness of his children. Not the thousands which you have amassed or wasted for the sake of sensual pleasures and earthly ambitions, but the penny which you have fed the hungry, clothed the naked, succored the unfortunate in their need, that penny will support you in the hereafter before God's throne. Not the decades which you have lived in levity and self-indulgence or in the pursuit of riches and pleasure, but the moments which will transform the bitterness of your last hour into the sweetness of blissful memories and hope will be those moments in which you dried somebody's tears, lessened his pain, comforted him in his distress, added a stone to the edifice of brotherly happiness, brought tranquility to a soul which was at odds with itself and the world. There's a lot of opportunity. <laughs> A lot of opportunity, and he has painted such a vision of something that we can actually look at, actually see, and then recognize as being the expression of the divine in the world, and then aspire to have a share of it. And even if it's only in the pennies and only the small moments, those are the pennies and moments that are going to matter in the long run. Time is it. Okay. That concludes the bit about the chesed, <laughs> for now. Or possibly that begins the bit about the chesed. <laughs> it might be more accurate. Um, so can we, can we go a little bit further, or should we stop here? I know we started a little bit late. It's, now, it's 10 o'clock, 10.05. We could, we could start. Um, let's do maybe go well. And next time we'll get Emirates Hashem to Laman Shemel Ba'ava. Really all goes together, you know, so it's a little tough. Okay. Zoher chaste avos umevi goel livnei v'nehem. 
Hashem remembers the chesed of the avos, and he brings, I, you know, now that I read all that from Rav Hirsch, it just seems so obvious. Zoher chastei avos, the chesed of the avos, umevi goal of nevenehem, leads to redemption for the children. Because what is the chesed? The way Rav Hirsch described chesed, you see what it is. Chesed is a person performing acts of redemption for another person, right? It's one person redeeming the other person. He even uses words like that. What was the words he... For this, yeah. Is it dedicate yourself with all that noble, beautiful strength with which he has endowed you to such work of love for the salvation of his children? Like that is when we do chesed, that is chaste Hashem, that is our stopgap, right? The geula isn't here yet. So in the meantime, we have to provide salvation for each other. In this lowered state of the world, we provide for each other. And it's Hashem providing for us. But instead of providing for us directly, we have to receive from each other, which is a lower level and yet allows us to reach a higher level in the giving. Okay, so maybe go to their children's children. Why to their children's children? Why not just to their children? <laughs> okay, so the, uh, the Hassam Sofer suggests, perhaps we can say, their children's children, because that suggests being young. Mm-hmm. Meaning, uh, well, I mean, one's children's children could also be grown-ups, right? But there's a sort of an image of B'nai V'neihem that suggests younger. So perhaps it's because Hashem will bring a redeemer for the sake of the little children, of the children. Even though the small children don't have a merit. Because remember, we had this whole back and forth in the Gemara, which we didn't even actually, I just referred to it. I didn't go there at all. This idea of chaste avos as zechus avos. And is there still zechus will, will we be redeemed because of zechus avos? Or will we say that there's no more zechus avos to that and we'll have to be redeemed for some other reason? Okay? So he says, little children don't have merit. I mean, we love looking at them. They're so innocent, right? He says what they have is innocence, not merit. So they may not have merit, but they also don't have a hate. And therefore, upon them, the zechus of Avram, Yitzchok, and Yaakov does, in fact, will rest. Maybe go like maybe it's in the merit of the little children who may not have real merit, but they also don't have real sin. I mentioned this, but I want to mention it again. This is in the name of the Siach Yitzchok. is in the present tense. He brings the Redeemer to their children's children because it is an ongoing process happening right now Every event, no matter how terrible it appears, is a step toward the ultimate redemption. We have to repeat it here because, you see, it, it is necessary to understanding this whole. The Chofetz Chaim says, V'zocher chastayavos, Hashem remembers the, the chesed of our forefathers. Shouldn't that remind us to also remember the chesed of the forefathers? I mean, if we're evoking that, mm-hmm. then it's in our own minds as well that we're evoking that. He kind of says, do we strive to emulate them? I mean, we're supposed to be reminding ourselves of this three times a day. So let's consider what Hashem said about Avraham. I have known him in order that he may charge his children and household after him that they shall keep the way of the Lord. I think it's Lasos. I don't remember how it finishes. Derech Hashem, maybe. This means... What is Hashem emphasizing? I know about Avraham that he will command his children and his household to go in the way of God. Mm-hmm. This is telling us that before Avraham, there were also great men and prophets. There was Noah and Shem and Aver and Peleg. And people would gather around them and even learn Torah from them. Well, not Torah maybe, but sacred teachings from them. In spite of that, not one of those people emerged from them who succeeded in learning Torah. Well, I guess other than Avraham. Meaning, you don't see that each one had children that did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Why was that, says the Chafetz Chaim? Because they learned and served the Lord for themselves alone. 
Avraham, however, was a more faithful friend of God than them all. He understood that from private personal study, nothing of value would result for the rest of the world or even for Hashem. And that's why Avraham called out in the name of the Lord. In his old age, he told his servant, I will make you swear by Hashem, the God of heaven and the God of earth. As Rashi explains, he could call the Almighty so because he had made God's name familiar to mankind on earth. He had taught the world the ways of the Lord, upbraiding people, even kings, for the wrongs they did. Because Avraham strove to proclaim the Almighty's name in the world, he merited to have Yitzchak for a son, Yaakov for a grandson, from him 12 great-grandsons, the 12 Shvatim, and until there was a complete nation descended from him. That's Umevi Goel Livnei the children of the children. That's the Shvatim. Mm-hmm. Now you have a whole nation. All of this is because he taught his children and household to follow in God's ways. And he expanded even beyond that. He taught everyone that he could bring into his circle of influence about God. He didn't only work on himself. And you know what? Working on yourself is really hard. This is hardly disparaging to the great people who came before Abraham. What it is, is incredible what he managed to do. If we beseech the Almighty to remember the merit of the patriarchs for us, we also must undertake to go in their ways and encourage one another in serving Hashem, especially our children and our household members. And this earns for us merit in this world and the world to come. Okay. Lema'an Shemo, for the sake of his name. So in a kind of literalist sense, which is not so terribly literal, what does it mean for the sake of his name? So there's a pasuk, Kiyad al-Kesko, with regard to the war with Amalek, that there will be Kiyad al-Kesko, his hand is on the throne of the Lord, Milchama, a war again between Hashem and Amalek for all generations. Mm-hmm. But the word case, throne, is missing a letter. It should be kise. So it's missing an olive. And ka is yud and hey, but it's a short form of God's name. It's missing a vav and a hey. Oy, gesente. Okay. So, as long as the descendants of Amalek exist, it's that Pasuk is telling us it's as if Hashem's name is incomplete. Amalek has its hand against God's name. It's hiding something for everyone. His throne, his domination, his throne as God's kingdom as revealed to the world is incomplete. Therefore, the full recognition of Hashem is not achieved in this world as long as evil personified by Amalek exists. Okay, I'm now moving into Rav Lef over here. So the name is written in a diminished way. So Leman Shemo Ba'ahava, Leman Shemo, for the sake of his name, meaning that the name itself should have its fullest expression. You see why I said it's a sort of a literal explanation of Leman Shemo, and yet it's very not literal also because there's much more to it than that. Now, what Rav left of is he does is he takes this even further. He says... he. The missing letters in Hashem's name right now are the Vav and the He. So you have a Yud and a He. So if the name of Hashem, this four-letter name of God, right, it has all the combinations of past, present, and future. Haya, he was. Hove, he is. Yihyeh, he will be. If you only have the Yud and the He visible, then you can still formulate Haya and Yihyeh. Because those only need yuds and hays. What you cannot formulate is hove, the present. Without that vav, you have no, right? That vav hey is what gives you the present. So as long as evil exists, it's possible to see Hashem through the testimony of the Torah to past miraculous events and prophecies concerning future miracles. However, in the present, it is difficult to see Hashem clearly in this world. Wow. Therefore, when the redemption will come, God's name will be complete once again. 
because then we will be able to see God's presence in the world directly in the present. In this context, the Geula will be for his name's sake. The response in Kaddish, when we say, Yehesh me Rabba mevarach, may his, may his great name be blessed, can be explained to convey the same idea. May God's name, Yehesh me Rabba, is like made more, mevarach, bracha means multiplying. May God's name, now diminished to Yud and He alone, be magnified and blessed for all eternity. Le'alam ula'almei almaya. Le'alam ula'almei almaya is all eternity, past, present, and future. Right? In this light, the word be'ahava, with love, implies God's love for us. The fact that God seeks to complete his name is not due to his need. From his perspective, he is always perfect and complete. He has not changed. It's only from our perspective that God's name, that is our perception of him, is diminished. So when we say that God's name, Amalek has a hand against God's name, he hasn't changed God. What he has done is made it difficult for us to see that. Our perception is diminished. Therefore, that which appears to be for his name's sake is really out of love for us. We are the real beneficiaries when God's name is complete and our recognition of him is intensified. In this name, we write Hashem's name as it really is, but we verbalize it as we can relate to it, according to our limitations. We don't say yud Hey and vav Hey. When the redemption will occur, everyone will be able to perceive that all was for good in the final analysis. The absolute truth and our perception will coalesce. In the next world, Hashem Echad, Ushmo Echad, his name will be one. It will be unif- reunified again from our point of view. We will see it all together. And I will close with um, a little section from the Maharal, uh, not the Maharal, sorry, from Rav Moshe Chaim Lutzato and Derech Hashem, where he says, and this is on that concept, According to the way that God has arranged the world's functions and for the perfection and improvement of all creations, there are many things that appear to be bad that occur in the world. They appear to be perhaps because of the choices of pe- that people make to sin. And it appears that then these things are in fact the opposite of God's will. Either the choices or the consequences of those choices cannot possibly be God's will. Because Hu Yisbarach, Hashem Yisbarach, only wants good. And his whole desire is to do good. And his name is Mishalel. There is Chilol Shem Shamayim when wickedness and wicked people appear to be able to affect and dominate others with their perversions and their damage. Mm-hmm. However, one who understands God's ways better and delves into these ideas will know that no matter what, however you look at it, all of this is just another route, another winding complication through very deep waters and t- paths all of which lead ultimately to the same point of perfection of creation. They, all paths lead to Rome? No. All paths lead to a perfect world. And it comes out that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is directing everything in truth. And his plan is the only one that actually exists. And it is the way through which he brings his good and his perfection to his creations. So the truth of the thing is that these things have to unfold in the way that they unfold according to the foundations of God's deep and wondrous wisdom which understands the truth of what is truly good. And in the end, it will become known to us that all of these twists and turns and, and apparent, you know, heading toward dead ends are really 
from Hashem Yisbarach, who is one, who is unique, who is the only. He is the one who directed and turned all of these events onto their path to come to their true conclusion and goal. And even though many of these twists and turns are very great and very difficult and very deep, we need to know that the one who is causing, the, the one who is giving directions to all of the world's events has only one goal. There is only one director and there is only one goal. And the goal is what is truly good and truly perfect. And the one who has the goal and directs it is truly good and truly perfect. That it all comes down to that chesed, but it is not necessarily visible to us yet. Okay, so next week, Emer Tasham, we'll continue with Ulan Shemot Ba'ahava. You know, I was thinking about when uh, when you were talking about Eliezer. Yeah. That um, remember the Abrahams had a, a, a had a, a student living it with them, that, and and she had a shidduch with somebody in uh, from San Diego, and they were sitting at a table, you know, like we have, and she was going into the kitchen and getting. Uh, maybe uh, fruit juice, and she said, would you like some? And he said, yes. And she said, would you like cookies? Yes. And finally she looked at him and she said, can I feed your animals? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. He said, he, after he said that, he was determined he was going to marry her. That's hysterical. Was that Jennifer? Was that Jennifer Gomez? They had talked previously. Was that, was, is that Jennifer, that story? I they had a girl named Jennifer a, Gomez. A girl, uh, She's now blue. A lot of people had uh, young girls working yeah. for them, helped in the... Uh, this the sounds city. like a Jewish a Jewish girl. Yes, yeah, so a lovely Jewish girl. Yeah. I wonder if that's Jennifer. And they had arranged the shit. That's a wonderful story. <laughs> and, uh, and he said he was determined to marry her. He was right. That's, talk yeah. about a sign from God, yeah. right? <laughs> and they oh, are married yeah. Yeah. I haven't kept up with him, but I'm sure they're... they're Isn't that nice? Well. Is she the one who lives in Israel, or this is someone else? They, they, the one that lived with him. She lives now in America or in Israel? I don't or know Or you haven't kept they, up with her? I haven't kept up with uh -huh. them. Or, so or nice. Isn't that great? A lot of people had uh, these young people living with them. Yeah. Helping in the community. Sure. So nice. A big chesed. Yeah. My mother knows all the secret stories of everybody. Yes. <laughs> Twists and turns. She said that her little children, that were little then, were in the kitchen watching everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is gone. Oh, yeah. Thank bye, you. thank you. Oh, you knew when we were finished. Yeah. Oh, maybe Kelsey. Kelsey told you. Yes. Thank you. It was lovely. Thank so you. So when you're... Uh, one of your Shireem come Purim night, the night of Purim. Um, yeah, I won't. I, um, yeah, let right? me take let me take a look at the calendar.